Today's show is brought to you by my friends at Winefellas. Winefellas is your wine club for small allocation, hard to find natural wines from around the world. They specialize in organic and biodynamic wines that are made using traditional winemaking methods, but with minimal intervention. They're free of added sugar and chemical additives. They're low in sulfites. They're bottlings the wine world describes as, quote, natural wines. These are wines as they were meant to be enjoyed with nothing standing between you and pure expressive fruit. What I love most about Winefellas, aside from the fact that they only source the best natural wines in the world, but they also go the extra mile by giving you a fact sheet on each bottle that contains authentic alcohol content, residual sugars, sulfur dioxide and parts per million, pH and acidity. Learn more about Winefellas by visiting them at winefellas.com. That's W-I-N-E-F-E-L-L-A-S.com. And be sure to use the code FEDANDFIT for $10 off your first Wine Club shipment. Welcome back to another episode of the Fed and Fit Podcast. I am your host, Cassie Joy Garcia, and I'm excited today to bring you another very special guest. Today, we are chatting with Mary Heffernan of Five Mary's Farms in Fort Jones, California. She lives there with her husband, Brian, along with their four daughters. Yes, all named Mary, too. Uh, She left a suburban life in Silicon Valley, California, to become a cattle rancher three years ago. They raise all-natural beef, pork, and lamb in the mountains of Siskiyou County and ship their premium dry-aged meats all over the country, of which I have been a very grateful recipient, and they're wonderful. Mary and Brian believe in doing things the old-fashioned way and know that there are no shortcuts in agriculture. Raising animals the right way takes time and attention and hard work put in day in and day out by the whole family. Their attention to detail shows in the quality of their product they are proud to share with people all over the U.S. Welcome to the show, Mary. Thanks, Cassie. I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. I think I first came across you, it was several months ago. Diane Sanfilippo, a good friend of mine, had sent me uh, several of your stories. And she was like, if you don't, you need to be following Mary right Aww. now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we both have the love of the Great Pyrenees pup, so. We do. <laughs> I love that. And I always wonder, because your, your Great Pyrenees um, are doing what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> they're working. <laughs> And whenever I chat, you know, our great Pyrenees puppy, uh, he has a different kind of job description. But um, I always, I've, I've had dinner before with some folks that have working great Pyrenees dogs. And for those of you who don't know, great Pyrenees are typically, uh, they're hardworking ranch dogs. They, uh, Gus's parents, for example, that's exactly their background is they were uh, protected the livestock from coyotes are really prevalent here in Texas. And, uh, and Gus lives a very different life. He's lounging on my bed right now. And <laughs> I've had supper before with a couple people who, uh, they look when we, they told them that we have a great Pyrenees as a house pet. They looked at us like we invited a donkey into the house. <laughs> well, Gus looks very happy in his life as a house dog. But, yeah, the, um, it was interesting when we got ours, he was a, a livestock guardian dog and had been raised with chickens and sheep and 
So we got him and they said, you know, he's, he, he'd never been in a car when we had to do the transfer. Um, he was like, what is going on? Like it, we had to physically lift him into the car, but, um, we put him out with our chickens and he just went right to lay under the chicken coop and kind of stayed there for a couple of days. And then when we'd come out to collect the eggs, you know, the girls, we, we told them, you know, you're not supposed to pet them. They're not a pet. They're a working dog, but inevitably, you know, he'd come up curious and looking at the girls and they'd pet him and they say that naturally Great Pyrenees will go protect whatever species is the most valuable on a ranch. Mm. And uh, so he was kind of like, what am I doing over here with the chickens? And he <laughs> kind of started going around the sheep and then working around the cows. And pretty soon he would just circle the house all night. And we thought, geez, this dog's not doing his job. Why isn't he out with the livestock? And we realized that he looked at our little herd of four girls as the most important species on the ranch. Aww. And he is very protective of them first and foremost. So we're like, well, you know what? That's okay. We'll take that. Yeah. Oh, that is just so sweet. That warms my heart. <laughs> They're really yeah, special dogs. He does That's... do a great job. They are very special. He protects our whole ranch at night. He's out chasing coyotes and somebody saw him chase a bear for two miles down our <gasps> mountain. But um, he will, uh, he really likes to, to take the house as his, his castle. That's awesome. I love it. That is, um, well, Gus will have something very important to protect soon. <laughs> That's right. I know. You can look forward to that. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, man, that is so sweet. I love it. And y'all are about to have a puppy there. This, this episode will probably air um, a while afterwards. So you probably, by the time this is airing, if you already follow Mary, you've been seeing this puppy, I bet. <laughs> yes, we've got Bo. And um, my oldest daughter is a dog lover. So she's taking on this new puppy as a training project. And she's already named her Betty. So we'll have Bo and Betty around the ranch and all their adventures. Oh my gosh, that's so fun. Sorry, I totally got sidetracked. Nothing gets me more sidetracked than <laughs> that dog dog. <laughs> I know it. Um, I'm so sorry, Mary, but I would love it uh, circling back around. Please tell us a little bit more about yourself uh, and what you do. And uh, I guess the story, your transition from three years ago, I would love it if you could kind of share that with listeners here. I think it's a really cool thing. Yeah, definitely. So I'm from um, the Bay Area, which is now turned into Silicon Valley in California, which is a place of lots of hustle and bustle and opportunity. And I loved growing up there and um, having businesses there. I went to college in Virginia and then moved back home kind of right um, about the time of the first dot-com boom in 2000. And um, I was on my way to medical school and tutoring kind of in the in-between time period when I was sending in my applications and taking the MCAT. Um, and I saw this huge need for tutoring in the area um, and started a tutoring business with a brick and mortar shop downtown in Menlo Park where kids could come do their homework and meet with tutors and kind of feel professional about what they were doing. And, and I thought um, I would just get that started and then go on to medical school. But what I really found was a love of small business and um, creating spaces to fill a need and everything from the marketing and the branding. And um, I, I really realized that small business was kind of where I wanted to be in the take and take in the direction for my life instead of going to medical school. So I ended up starting a few more businesses in the area, all geared towards families, um, especially with small children. And then I met my husband who was an attorney for a big law firm and uh, he was doing real estate law in the same town. He, he had grown up in more of an agricultural background. His dad was a farmer in Tehama County, um, which is in, also in Northern California. But he had found his way to law school at Santa Clara and then was working in the Bay Area. 
Um, and when we met, he was a very busy attorney and I was um, kind of on a trend of starting more businesses. And then we had two of our girls and realized that um, we loved going out to eat. I especially loved going out and meeting friends for lunch. And taking one baby, you know, is okay. Once you have a menagerie of children, people look at you like, please don't come in this restaurant. Um, but I really loved good food and appreciated, you know, eating out. And so we, I came up with a concept to do kind of a, um, a clubhouse where parents could come eat with kids and feel comfortable eating, but get really quality food and have kids, mood, kids food on the menu that wasn't dumbed down. Um, so we thought, we'll just cater in the food. This will be really easy. You know, I love building spaces. I'll make a comfortable space for parents. We'll have a playroom in the back where you can check in kids and had an outdoor area with trikes and arts and crafts. And there were always Montessori trained teachers in there to work with the kids. And so you can check them in after you ate. But we quickly cool. realized that, um, the health department requirements required us to build a full commercial kitchen. And once we did mm -hmm. that, uh, it didn't make sense to cater in food. And so we hired a chef and the next thing we knew it, we were opening up a breakfast, lunch and dinner restaurant seven days a week. And I, the first day we opened, I kind of looked at my husband like, oh no, what did we do? <laughs> this is a huge task. What a so, tiger at the carnival. Yes, totally. Um, so we dove into the restaurant business and um, we loved sourcing really quality ingredients, um, being passionate about where the food came from, feeding our customers only food that we would feed our own children. Um, and then we ended up opening a second restaurant with the same passion and we're working on opening a third um, that was going to be a high-end burger house with really quality burgers and we wanted really quality ground beef for those burgers um, and what we found working with small farms is it was really hard for a lot of farms to do it consistently all year round um, we wanted the, a barley finish. We wanted to live a you know, grass-fed lifestyle. We wanted a dry age, which is really important to us and I think is what really makes our meat um, stand out is we dry age the whole carcass after harvesting. So even our ground beef is dry aged 21 to 28 days, which is pretty unusual. Hmm. Um, but we became really passionate about all these menu testings and burger testings with um, really talented chefs. And we're like, we have to do this 28 day dry age and barley finish. And so we couldn't find a farm doing it. And naively one day looked at each other like, well, let's just do this ourselves. <laughs> My husband had always kind of wanted to get back into agriculture. Um, and we'd always, since we'd been married, we'd kind of looked on and off for a ranch or, you know, a small piece of property of our own. And we thought, well, this could all make sense if we can buy our own ranch and raise our animals there and then sell our own meat to our restaurants. You know, we get our, our outdoor recreation property. We get, um, an aspect of, uh, agriculture into our lives and a place to take our kids and we can fill this need that we're so passionate about. So uh, we jumped in with both feet, our family motto, which I know you'll appreciate being from Texas, is go big or go home. <laughs> and we, um, we found a piece of property up in Siskiyou County, which is at the top of the state in California. It's six hours north of where we lived in the San Francisco Bay Area. So we're way up at the top of the state. Um, and we bought this ranch and luckily my brother-in-law, um, is a sixth generation cattle rancher from Oregon. Actually, he's a fifth generation. My nephew is the sixth generation. And he was very helpful in helping us source great cattle with really good genetics for, um, the things that were important to us and the, the ribeye quality and all these things. 
we learned that you can tell from EPDs on expected progeny differences on bulls and huh. on your cattle. And so, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of ranchers are very, are most concerned with raising their animals to sell, you know, to the next step by the pound. And so different like birth weight and different things are important in their APDs. But what was important to us was ease of calving and smaller birth weight so that we had, um, you know, an, an easier time on our mamas and then great marbling on our ribeyes, which is really a, a genetic thing. So we sourced great cattle. We had um, a, a cattle ranch manager who was, who was here full time. And then we would come up every weekend and go back to our restaurants during the week. And it was crazy. <laughs> we were totally unprepared and naive thinking that we could do both well. And we realized we weren't doing either well. We were, when we were up here, we, something would go wrong at the restaurant. And you know, we were up here having a nice Easter on the ranch. And the kids are running barefoot. And we're like, this is beautiful. And then the restaurant calls, like, the, the hood's broken. The restaurant's filling up with smoke. There's a line out the door. And they're like, oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> we're the only ones who know how to fix it. And then um, we would be at the restaurants. And, you know, so a neighbor, one of our new nice neighbors would call. And you have cows on the road. And we're like, oh, my gosh, we're six hours away. Where's the ranch manager? And, so um, we, we also simultaneously just fell in love with this lifestyle and on this community. And we really lucked out, um, you know, living rurally. We have a beautiful piece of property. We're on 1,800 acres, but we're only five minutes from our downtown. And we have um, a, a small community. You know, we're a, a, a no-stoplight town, but mm -hmm. we've got about 3,000 people that are all hardworking, really great community-oriented people. Um, and so we sort of, every time we were here, we're like, this is where we want to be. And for eight weekends, driving back and forth with four little girls in four car seats, my oldest was only five. Wow. Um, we we're like, this is crazy. Why are we going back? Like, we feel like we're leaving home every time we leave. Mm -hmm. So we, on that car ride, just made the decision that we want to make this our life. We're passionate enough about raising these animals. We want to be the ones out there feeding them every day and caring for them every day and pushing our mission to produce really good quality meat. Um, and we were more passionate about that than continuing on um, what we had built in the Bay Area. So my husband um, gave his position in his law firm away to a friend, and we sold our businesses and restaurants and moved up here full time. And I was pretty apprehensive. You know, I was a suburban girl raised um, with, you know, a, a pretty normal, great suburban life with lots of things available at any time. And all mm -hmm. of a sudden we were moving to a small town um, and would be pretty isolated and, you know, went from a beautiful house that we'd worked so hard that we thought this is our forever house. This is where our girls will walk down the stairs when they're married mm -hmm. to a little ranch house that was 780 square feet, two bedrooms, <laughs> wood stove only heat, like you got to chop that wood or you're in trouble. Oh, <laughs> There's man. single degree temps um, and you know, all kinds of country problems like mice and, <laughs> and things that I was like, well, don't, aren't there, can we call somebody to fix this? Nope. <laughs> That's not an option. You do it yourself. Um, but in the process, you know, our girls matured so quickly and so became so much more capable and independent and they have learned to really pull their weight. Like it's a family operation. You don't have help when you're on a ranch. You do it yourself. So my 10-year-old, um, you know, cooks dinner often when we're still out working late finishing chores. And my younger girls can drive the feed truck on a daily basis. They don't need to do the gears because we got a Dodge, which just 
cranks in gear and they steer and drive while Brian throws hay. <laughs> so um, it was really a huge lifestyle change for us. Um, but it feels like this is what we've always have been, well, this is where we're meant to be and what we're supposed to be doing. Oh my gosh, that is so heartwarming. It makes me want to, you know, put a for sale sign in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of people say that and I'm like, well, don't let me make it sound too pushy because <laughs> it's cold and dirty and lots and lots of hard work, but it is really a very satisfying and very rewarding lifestyle. Oh my goodness, that's so wonderful. And just, you know, if you guys are listening to this and it sounds wonderfully charming, um, it, it, it at least at least what I see on social media definitely matches that. Uh, I you do such a great job of constantly sharing the ins and outs. She's five Mary's Farms on Instagram, and I'll link to that of course in the show notes so you can go ahead and click it if you're driving when you get back to your computer later. But um, it's just so neat to watch you guys and cheer you along as you do this really important work. So that's just incredible. I think this is a great spot to stop and hear from one of our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at ButcherBox. ButcherBox delivers grass-fed, grass-finished, pastured beef, chicken, and heritage breed pork to your door each month. The animals are humanely raised and are never introduced to hormones or antibiotics. I have been a loyal fan and customer of ButcherBox for over a year now and love my monthly butcher box delivery because it helps me get healthy, nutrient-packed protein on my table with ease. To order your own butcher box, head to www.butcherbox.com forward slash fed and fit podcast where you can get $15 off plus free bacon with your order. Again, that's www.butcherbox.com forward slash Fed and Fit podcast for $15 off and free bacon with your order. Um, so tell us a little bit about your clients now and your customers. How has that evolved since you guys made the big move? Um, and I know that now you ship all over the U.S. Yeah, it's, it was definitely um, a learning curve and evolution of the process, just like everything has been in the past three years. Um, but we, we knew if we wanted to do this full time, we wanted a direct to consumer market. Um, we didn't want a middleman. We didn't want the story of our meat to get lost in translation. Um, we'd been on the restaurant side and we knew how hard it was to really source from restaurants and, and do it consistently. And we didn't want somebody, you know, buying our meat and putting our name on the menu and then not serving that meat every single time. So um, we had enough of a customer base from friends and family and customers that were existing in the Bay Area that believed in what we did and knew we always provided a really quality product that, you know, we just started out with an email to those customers saying, we have our first product, we have half lamb shares and Mary and the girls are driving them down this weekend. If anybody wants one, give us your address and we'll deliver. Um, and I think I had 36 stops to make in the Bay Area on a weekend and by about the 21st I was in tears <laughs> like no. this, is, this is not gonna work like this it's too hard to get to all these places and this traffic and you know the girls are and been in the car too long and so we're like okay well that models that models out we can't do delivery so how are we gonna get this meat to people and so we started doing um, we started researching how to ship but it was it was really a process it took us almost a year to figure out um, custom insulated boxes that were still biodegradable and kind of, you know, we're in line with our mission. It wasn't just a big styrofoam box. Um, we had to figure out a dry ice supplier because we learned that really you can't ship 
meat without dry ice. Um, mm -hmm. The gel packs don't really do it unless you're going for fresh product, but we wanted to be people to stock their freezers and not just have meat that they had to cook in a few days. Um, so while we were researching that, we started doing what we called farm stands. Um, and we felt like uh, farmers markets in a lot of places have become a little bit commercialized. You know, it's a lot of um, face painting and, and balloons and less about going to a parking lot to meet some farmers in the back of their um, van, which I know those still exist, but wh where we were trying to reach our clientele, it didn't feel authentic and it didn't feel like um, what we could spend our really valuable time away from the ranch doing. Mm -hmm. So we ended up doing farm stands, we called them, where we would set up shop um, in my parents' backyard or at a friend's house and do a little pop-up this is, come meet the farmers, taste our product. We'd um, bring in a friend who was a chef. He'd make samples of all of our food. And then we'd have all these coolers lined up in the backyard with little stands. It's a ground beef, $10 a pound and pork chops and lamb, lamb chops and leg of lamb. And so people could come fill their bag um, and buy our meat and taste our product at the same time. And that worked really well to get our, um, our meat out there and have people trying it and get our name out there. Uh, and it, they were a lot of fun, but also a lot of work. And the more, the bigger our operation grew here, the harder and harder it has become to leave the ranch. So mm -hmm. we did the farm stands for about a year and a half um, while we transitioned into shipping. Uh, we've been shipping for two years and we started doing it out of a little lean-to on the ranch. We got a, um, a, sh a used shipping container that had been converted into a freezer, a big, huge walk-in freezer. So we had all our meat there and then I had a little table outside um, and we've got some boxes that I wasn't really ready to jump into, um, printed boxes and the expense of that. So we took our cattle brand that says M5 that we actually physically brand our cattle with and we, I branded the boxes and thought, well, this will work for now. And now it's like one of our kind of signature things that people love that like our actual cattle brand is burned right there on the box that's coming to their doorstep. Um, so, you know, we were doing it kind of on a, a shoestring and trying to figure out what was going to work and what wasn't. But um, we slowly started shipping boxes to these customers who bought our meat at a farm stand or had heard about it and um, transitioned into fully shipping. And so a year ago, when the weather kind of started turning and our volume of shipping was going up, I looked at my husband like, I can't do this. I can't do this outside anymore. Like my labels are all curling and I have to run back to the house to print one and it's too many boxes. And he's like, okay, okay, we need to solve this quickly. <laughs> so we found um, a great little shop in down our downtown. that was a vacant building. We um, kind of did a, a spit shine and fixed it up in a two week period. And I was shipping out of there within uh, the, by by Christmas. And so it's um, a great farm store now. I'm so thankful for it. It's a warm, cozy room. We've got a little uh, retail shop in the front. I've got reach-in freezers, which are amazing. After a year and a half of every box having to walk in the 15 degree walk-in and choose all the perfect cuts and then come out and pack them in a box. So now we have glass door reach-ins where we can see all of our beautiful cuts and pack them in boxes. And um, we've gone from shipping about 25 to 50 boxes a week to um, in the last three days we shipped out 365 boxes and each one I make sure um, I have some girls helping me in the shop who are awesome one girl full-time and then when we're really busy I've got some great local girls who help out um, but I make sure that I'm looking at each box and who it's going to and I know most of our customers and I know that oh they like bigger lamb shops because they're feeding a lot of people or you know it's just a single couple so they like smaller cuts so that there's not a lot of leftovers and 
So, and I you know, make sure I write a note on every box and we want to keep that personal touch um, forever. We're, we don't really have plans to grow bigger or do any kind of distribution. We just want to grow our brand so that we're always delivering really quality, old-fashioned service to our customers. That's awesome. Man, I, I just, it makes me so excited. When I did, when you sent me a box uh, recently and I was really blown away by, um, I mean, the quality of the meat in general, but it's just, it's all very thoughtfully put, get, put together, and it really was some of the best meat that I've had in a while, um, and it That's makes a lot of, here. yeah, <laughs> I really, I've been very happy to hear that, I always try to pass on those, because he works so hard out there, you know, he's up at 4.40 in the morning, and oh. he, he is changing the rations week to week on the animals, and it really does make a difference, you know, putting in hard work, you can taste it in the quality of the meat, and that's something I think that is hard for people to actually comprehend. Mm -hmm. You really can. You really can taste it. And you'd sent me something very special, a leg of lamb. And it was, it was one of the most special meals that we'd had in a long time. And that recipe will be on the blog this spring, but it was really wonderful. Oh, good. I know. I love leg of lamb is a great cut. It is, man. And of course, I, you know, I think big fat Greek wedding every time I talk about it. Yes, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but it was wonderful. Um, that's great. So, okay. So, uh, beef, pork, and lamb, right? Is that, yep. that primarily we your do, focus? We have heritage breeds. We've got um, heritage hogs. We do. We like a mixed breed. We started with Gloucestershire Old Spots, and they are really tough breeders. We had a lot of problems delivering healthy babies with pigs, which hmm. uh, is kind of, you know, some of the heritage breeds, they really became, their lineage became so small that, um, that you, you find some problems like that. So I found myself shoulder deep inside of our pigs way mm. too many times and thinking, you know, this is these poor pigs. This is not, this is too tough on them. And so we've diversified to kind of a more, um, uh, kind of a, a mutt of heritage breeds. And that is where you get a lot better, um, genetics and they're really strong pigs. So we go between Berkshires and red wattles and GOS, the old spots. Um, and that has been really a lot more successful for us. And it's really fun because you see all kinds of different colors out there, the pigs and, um, you know, different little variations. The red wattles have a little uh, waddle under their neck and they're, the pigs are so cute. Uh, and then we, we do Navajo churro lambs. We've got one of the biggest, um, largest herds of Navajo churro, I think, in the country. We inherited this 30-year-old um, herd from a couple who had been raising them forever and was very cautious and thoughtful about their breeding program and bringing back the lines of these Navajo churro and they're mm. beautiful sheep, with big horns and they're slow growers, um, which, you know, conventional sheep. Most of the, the, the lamb that's in America is coming from overseas. And, um, it, mm. there, I was reading an article that the lamb and sheep industry in the United States is not just like dying. It's dead. There's mm. so few, um, operations that are raising lamb and for lamb for uh for customers especially direct to consumer so we are really passionate about our lamb that the navajo churro breed is called the chef's choice because it's a really great flavor and i've come across so many people who say oh i don't eat lamb i don't like lamb like just the smell of it turns me off and you know that mint jelly i'm like no no that's not lamb <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you had mutton once or you had a commercial breed that was raised too quick and too fast and you know, it's just like chicken, like the quality of um, 
the breed and how they're raised and how quickly they're meant to get to weight really affects the flavor of the meat. Um, so these Navajo churro are slow growers, which means there's a lot more inputs and, you know, um, drives the price point of the meat up a little bit, but we think it's totally worth it for what you're gaining in flavor and the way that the meat is raised ethically and humanely and all those reasons. Um, but our sheep are funny. I, I had to kind of talk my husband into into adding sheep to our menagerie when we started ranching and cattle ranchers aren't big fans of sheep. You know, they think like we raise cows. What are you doing with those furry animals? And mm -hmm. I, I had convinced them to, you know, try it out. And the, the sheep are just masters of getting out of fences. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. There's a tiny hole in the fence and the whole herd is through it in minutes. And so, he, after we got the sheep, he kept coming inside, you know, it's a rainy season and he's muddy and wet and he'd come and sit in the chair inside and say, your damn sheep got out again. Your damn sheep got out again. And the next day, your damn sheep got out again. So the girls just started referring to him. Are those mama's damn sheep? <laughs> so the whole herd is now just affectionately known as mama's damn sheep. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. But they're really majestic animals. And we are um, also passionate about, you know, using the whole animal and, and kind of preserving its um, legacy even after it's harvested. And so we go to great lengths to keep our hides um, from harvest. It's not an easy process, but when, um, and harvest obviously is sort of the, the PC term for slaughter. Mm -hmm. um, but when we take them to the abattoir, which is also a fancy word for slaughterhouse, mm -hmm. um, after they are harvested, we have to go within a few hours to the gut room, which is the basement underneath the um, harvest floor where there's manholes that all parts that are not saved on the carcass are kicked down. Mm -hmm. And we um, pull out these beautiful hides, which are not really beautiful at that point, but we know their potential. Mm -hmm. And um, we take those to a 12-year-old boy who lives two hours north of us who's an expert flesher and salter which is what? also an art yes it's great um he is he fle his, his dad is a taxidermist which is how we found him but fleshing and salting is not a sexy job it's a lot of work and tedious um and taxidermists don't want to do it but his son is a budding taxidermist and we pay him to flesh the hides and which means you know carefully with a knife taking off all bits of flesh that would rot or cause mm -hmm. problems with the hide and then um he salts them and puts them in his salt shed where we pick them up and then bring them to a drying racks that we've built on our ranch. And depending on the time of year, we have to dry them from a month to three months. And then we um, pack them up carefully and ship them to the Amish because they are the only ones we've found to do a really good job all naturally huh. without chemicals. You can tan a hide quickly with chemicals, but to do it properly it takes a long time. So we, um, we send them to the Amish and they take approximately 22 to 32 weeks and when we and then they ship them back to us and when we get these hides back it's like christmas it's like you open this box and they're beautiful colors of like ombre grays and polka dots and stripes and like really luxurious white um that are great for nurseries mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, blacks and browns and so we sell those hides and um people just love them and they're, they're definitely a special occasion they're at a high price point um for with all of that process that goes into them but they're like long six inch wool and they just like add so much flair to a room like on the back of a couch or an ottoman. And so for us, that's really neat to kind of see the beauty of these animals live on, um, not only in the nourishment they provide through our meat, but in the, um, in the beauty and kind of legacy that their hides continue. Oh my gosh, that is so beautiful. I'm scrolling through them right now while you're talking. Mary. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're, some, they're absolutely they're, gorgeous. They are. And they're even better in person because they're just so soft. 
I can't even imagine. My goodness. And, and if you guys are curious where I'm at, I'm at shop5marys.com um, and then click on sheepskin pelts and you can scroll and see them for yourself. They're absolutely stunning. What a very neat way uh, to really honor the whole animal. That's wonderful. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm just so smitten with you and your story and your sweet family. And I know that you get this question. I'm sure you get this question a lot, but I would love it if you could tell readers really quickly or listeners really quickly um, about uh, the girls' names, Mary, and uh, is it their first name, their middle name, and yes. um, how that tradition started. For sure. So um, my girls are all named Mary, and I get that question a lot. Like, are they really <laughs> all named Mary? <laughs> like, yes, they are. Um, <laughs> But my, um, my name's Mary, and I was named after my grandmother and great-grandmother, Mary Reagan. And then um, both of my grandmothers on both sides were Mary's, um, and Brian's grandmother was Mary. And so when we had our first daughter, we knew we had to name her Mary. And I didn't really want to name – I never thought I'd name a daughter after myself, but I felt like – so I was a little, like, apprehensive about that. But I was like, no, we're naming her after, like, the legacy of all of her grandmothers. And yeah. so we named her Mary Frances, um, which is her first name. It's a double first name. And then her middle name is the surname or maiden name of the grandmother she was named after. And so we carried that on with all of them. Aww, so Mary Frances so goes by Francie. She's 10. Mary Marjorie is Maisie, and she's 8. And then Mary Jane as uh, our wild child <laughs> prefers to be called Cray Cray JJ. <laughs> Um, or, or Janie, uh, she's six. And then Mary Teresa is the youngest and she goes by Tessa. Oh my gosh, that is so sweet. Um, our daughter, we haven't, well, by now people will know it when this episode comes out, um, but we've been keeping it kind of under wraps, our leading name choice. And she's going, her middle name's going to be Joy. Oh, that's so great. We're going to share that together. And I have, we, I was chatting with my sisters the other day at dinner. They're like, what if you have all girls? And I was like, well, I kind of really love the idea of them all having joy. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a really neat mission, and they all feel like they're a part of, you know, a little family sorority of girls, and yeah. I think it's a really neat mission. It is. That's really sweet. Well, Mary, thank you so much for coming on to chat about all of these wonderful things and what your incredible family is up to. If you don't mind telling folks where they can find you, just remind them one more time, and then, of course, I'll link to everything in the show notes. Yes, definitely. So our um, Instagram is Five Marys Farms. It's F I V E M A R Y S um, Farms with an S, and um, we share our daily life on Instagram. I think you can call me an oversharer, but we like <laughs> to kind of show the good, bad, and the ugly, and what really um, happens on a working cattle ranch. And um, our website to buy our product is shop5marys.com, and we ship all over the U.S., including Hawaii and Alaska. And we can't ship to Canada, but we can go anywhere in the U.S. Um, and then we're also opening a new restaurant in downtown Fort Jones. Um, should be open by New Year's Eve where we will be able to showcase our meats. So if anybody's ever driving up I-5 headed through California, Oregon, make sure to stop in Fort Jones and come try some Five Mary's meat for yourself. Oh my gosh, that's so great. Thank you so much for making the time to come on the show today and sharing your awesome story. I really appreciate it. It was great to chat with you, Cassie, and good luck with the baby girl. Oh, thank you so much. We've got a lot to learn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll be pros in no time. Thank you so much, and thanks, everybody, for dialing in today. As always, we'll be back again next week. <laughs>